Find chapter 10, uh, Spiritual Warfare in High Places. Be a little easier tonight than last week's. Yes? Well, I'm actually going through Daniel because there's references in here uh, to like 1 Maccabees. Uh, I'm using the New Revised Standard Version because it has those books included in it. And my other translations don't. Usually I use the ESV. But tonight I'll be using, once again, the NRSV. Which is ESV. The King James, the RSV, the New RSV, and the ESV are all in the same family of translations. Hmm? More, more along the, the word for word spectrum. Um, dynamic equivalent. Right. Yes. Um, things like the NLT are more dynamic equivalent, and uh, New American Standard, ESV, New Revised Standard Version are more along the lines of what they call uh, formal equivalents, or word for word. Yeah. Uh, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. The word was true, and it concerned a great conflict. He understood the word, having received understanding in the vision. At that time, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine had entered my mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I looked up and saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of uh, gold from uh, Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the roar of a multitude. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The people who were with me did not see the vision, though a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid, hid themselves. So I was left alone to see this great vision. My strength left me, and my complexion grew deathly pale, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and when I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. But then a hand touched me, and roused me to my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, greatly beloved, pay attention to the words that I am going to speak to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. So while he was speaking this word to me, I stood up trembling. He said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And have come to help you understand what is to happen to your people 
at the end of days. For there is a further vision for those days. While he was speaking these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one in human form touched my lips, and I opened my mouth to speak, and said to the one who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, such pains have come upon me that I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For I am shaking. No strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one in human form touched me and strengthened me. He said, Do not fear, greatly beloved. You are safe. Be strong and courageous. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Now I must return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I am through with him, the prince of Greece will come. But I am to tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is no one with me who contends against these princes except Michael, your prince. Now folks, Daniel 10 introduces us to the last three chapters of the book of Daniel, which together form a unit. They form uh, the final vision in the book of Daniel. Okay? Uh, the vision is going to be laid out in chapter 11. Okay? Uh, chapter 10 is chapter 10 is a prelude to the vision. It's the introduction. Like the introduction in a sermon, chapter 10 is the introduction to the last sermon of visions in the book of Daniel. Uh, chapter 10 is fascinating because it pulls back the veil... And it really allows us to see the workings of the spiritual world. And that's what's going on here. The veil's being pulled back, and we're allowed to see a scene that normally with human eyes, we don't see. You know, years ago, there was a series of books out by Frank Perret, uh, Piercing the Darkness. Remember those books? The premise behind those books is true, even if the books themselves were fiction. And what were those books about? They were about spiritual warfare, right? Demonic powers at work in the world. There's a spirit world at work that we don't see. Well, we know in the Bible uh, there's angels, there's demons. We're plainly told as much. Uh, Revelation 12 says that when Satan rebelled against God and fell from heaven, he drew a third of the angels with him. <coughs> These became the demons, the demonic powers. Now, one class of these demons tried to have relations with human women, and so the book of 2 Peter and also the book of Jude talks about them being reserved in chains until the day of judgment. They're not free. But most demons are apparently free to roam the earth. 
And the demons do the bidding of Satan. Keep in mind, Satan is not omnipotent like God. He can't be everywhere. He's not all-powerful. We don't believe as Christians in dualism. Dualism says there are two equal sovereign powers, God and Satan. And they're just kind of duking it out. We've got to wait and see which wins. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. There's only one sovereign, God. <coughs> Satan is just a, a created being. But Satan, again, has his demons who do his bidding. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We don't battle simply against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Well, in Daniel 10, we are given a first-hand account or a glimpse of this spiritual warfare that goes on. Uh, the first thing I want you to see tonight in the first four verses is the background. We're told in verse 1, or, or, uh, a time stamp is put on this chapter. And these events, it's the third year of Cyrus, and so we would be in 536 B.C. Now, that's important because now it is two years after Cyrus has issued the decree for the Jews to go back home. <clears throat> And so the 70-year exile of the Jews in Babylon is officially over. But did all of the Jews go back home? No. Only about 49,000 of them. That's all. Why didn't the rest go back home? Well, apparently, over the course of 70 years, most have been allowed to build businesses and homes and so forth and become a part of the Babylonian society. And they've just kind of grown accustomed to the Babylonian society. And so when they had the opportunity to go back to their homeland, they didn't take it because their lives were established there in a foreign land. Uh, again, about 49,000, somewhere between 49,000 and 50,000 went back home we know Daniel was not with them. It's believed perhaps that Daniel is too old now for the journey. He would be in his 90s by now. And yet we see that God is not done with him. Uh, perhaps God had Daniel stay behind to continue to be a witness to the Jews who didn't return. Uh, that may be true, but again, it may just simply be his age that kept him from traveling back home. Now folks, let's think how it must have been for Daniel. Daniel has seen many of his kinfolks, many of his friends, no doubt, pack up and go home. I figure that's probably pretty emotional for him. Verse 2 says Daniel was in mourning for three weeks. Uh, he may be in mourning again because his kinsmen being gone, he misses some of them. More likely, it's that word has filtered back to him that they're having a tough time getting reestablished in Jerusalem. Just read the book of Ezra. You read Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and it talks about how They've come back, they've laid the foundation of the temple, they have started rebuilding, and their neighbors, uh, they're in Jerusalem. Uh, 
their non-Israelite neighbors have been coming against them because they're rebuilding the land. Uh, and so they're having a tough time getting things going again back in the homeland. And Daniel's probably heard word about how tough it is for the, for the 49,000 plus that went back. It's not quite as easy on as maybe some of them thought it was going to be. And so that's probably one reason he's in, in mourning. Uh, he may be in mourning also because the majority didn't go back. And he's wondering about this, why more of them did not go back. Because this is what God would have had them to do. Folks, does disobedience burden us any? It should. It should bother us. So maybe that's what's bothering Daniel, to know that many of his countrymen have remained there in Babylon. Well, verse 3 says that Daniel fasted. Fasting is coupled together with prayer in the Scripture when people have a heavy burden on their hearts. Um, they want... God to speak to them about something and they're so heavy hearted and burdened about something they forego certain aspects of their meals because they're spending that time in prayer. They're seeking God. And that's what Daniel is doing. You may remember in the New Testament when the disciples couldn't help the demon possessed boy that was brought to them and then Jesus cast the demons out. The disciples asked why they couldn't do it themselves. And Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Daniel is praying and fasting. And that's the background of this chapter. Well, we move secondly into the vision beginning there in verse 5. Now, look at this vision here. Uh, as we pick up reading, he says, I looked up and saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the roar of a multitude. Now, there are some commentators who believe that this is a vision of Jesus Christ. I don't, many others don't, and I'll explain why not in a moment. Many do because the similarities in the description of this figure to the description of the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Okay? And because of the similarity, some think that this is a vision of Jesus that Daniel is seeing. But what would be the problem with that? The problem with that is this figure needs help. He needs help from Michael, the archangel, coming to his aid, helping him in this battle. Does Jesus need any help? No. And for that reason, I don't think this is Jesus. I think it's a high-ranking angel, perhaps Gabriel. 
uh, Daniel's friends tremble. They know something is going on even though they don't see what Daniel sees. And the response of Daniel is he falls flat on his face. Now, have you ever noticed that this is the common biblical response when either angels or the Lord shows up on the scene and appears to somebody? They fall down as though they're dead, right? Sometimes today, people want to speak of the Lord showing up and they, they, some people want to claim they, they've had a vision of the Lord showing up and they're just so trifling about it. Uh, Dr. John MacArthur, for instance, says that uh, one Sunday a man walked up to him at church and was boasting and saying, uh, Dr. MacArthur, Jesus shows up all the time to see me and I talk to him. Often even when I'm looking in the bathroom mirror and I'm shaving, getting ready in the morning, he appears to me and talks to me. And MacArthur said, well, what do you do? Do you go on shaving? And the man said, sure. MacArthur said, then you haven't seen Jesus. (laughs) Because you'd be laying prostrate. Well, look at verse 10. Then a hand touched me and roused me to my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, greatly beloved, pay attention to the words that I'm going to speak to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. Again, it could be that this is Gabriel. After all, Gabriel has already appeared to Daniel earlier in the book. Uh, Verse 11 Uh, Daniel is assured that he is greatly loved. How comforting that must have been to him. Uh, And the angel makes it clear that God wants to communicate with Daniel. He wants Daniel to understand what is yet to happen to Daniel's people. Uh, Verse 12. uh, Look at verse... Verse 12, he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And so Daniel's assured from the very first day of his prayer, his prayers were heard. And God dispatched an angel to answer Daniel's prayer. But look at what happened. Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Think about that. It's generally regarded here that this is a demon. This is not a man. This is a demon. Why? Because God dispatches an angel to give Daniel an answer. The angel is intercepted and delayed. Is that something a man can do? Can a man intercept and delay an angel? No. And so most believe this is a demonic figure that's being referred to here in verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. 
And verse 13 says that this spiritual warfare between the angel and the demon went on for 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief angels, came to assist Gabriel. Again, assuming this is Gabriel. Beginning in verse 14, the heavenly being tells Daniel that he has come to tell Daniel what is to happen to his people the Jews in coming years. Now, that will be the content of the last vision. What is going to happen in coming years. And that's what we'll get to in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is going to tell us more about what awaits the Jewish people. And since we're not going to get into the vision of chapter 11 tonight, I want us to stop here a moment and we're going to focus more on points of application tonight about what we see so far in chapter 10. And the first thing I want you to see is the text reveals that we are definitely engaged in spiritual warfare. Remember Job? Job chapter 1. The sons of God. Now, characteristically, that phrase, sons of God, when you see that in the Old Testament, it refers to angels, the angelic hosts, who appear before God there in Job chapter 1. And who is it that shows up among the sons of God? Satan. Remember what happens? Satan accuses Job of only following God because God has put a hedge around him. And Satan says, you know, if you remove that hedge and let bad things happen to him, he's going to curse you like anybody else will. And God allows Satan. Satan can't do what he does to Job without God allowing Satan to do so. He allows Satan to bring trials and suffering on Job just so long as he doesn't uh, take Job's life. Exactly. So that's what we see there in Job 1. When you say... That's spiritual warfare? Yes. Definitely. We just came through a study of the book of First uh, and Second Kings. You remember First Kings 22? Remember what we studied in First Kings 22? Uh, all of the prophets of King Ahab who were false prophets were telling Ahab to go to war against Ramoth Gilead. You remember that? And uh, Jehoshaphat's uh, the leader of Judah. Ahab wants Jehoshaphat to get Judah involved and go to war with him. And Jehoshaphat says, I'll do that. My people will be as your people and my army is your army. But let's first of all stop and inquire of the Lord. Let's let the prophets tell us whether God's going to actually be in this battle or not. And so Ahab calls for all the prophets and they go through their little song and dance and demonstrations about goring, you know, you're going to gore the enemy and all that. And Jehoshaphat sees through all this and he's like, 
Is there not a true prophet that we can seek an answer from the Lord from? And you remember what Ahab said? Oh yeah, there's one, Micaiah. But you know, I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me. And Jehoshaphat says, well, call him. And they call him, and uh, as they're going to get him, the messenger says to him, now all the other prophets have gone along with this. Play nice and just go along. And he says, I will only say what the Lord tells me to say. I'm not just going to go along. But then Ahab says, Micaiah, should we go to war? And he says, oh, sure, everything's going to be okay. And Ahab says, tell me the truth. And Micaiah tells him, you know, you're going to die. This is not going to, this is not going to go well. Uh, Micaiah said, you know, Ahab wants to know why all the other prophets were saying, go to battle. Why is it that you of all the other, and uh, you're, you're distant from all the other prophets? They're saying go to battle. You're not. Why? Do you remember Micaiah's answer to Ahab? That it would have to do with spiritual warfare? You remember? There was a spirit being that went before the Lord and said, Lord, let me put a lying spirit into the mouths of the prophets so that Ahab will be deceived. And God says, yes, go and do that. Spiritual warfare. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You know the passage well. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says there. He says, You were dead through the trespass, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who were disobedient. And then you turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, and what is it that Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 6? Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now folks, what's astounding here in Daniel 10 is that, is that this warfare extends into the affairs of nations. I want you to think about the implications of this. There are demonic powers behind many of the leaders and the decisions they're making in the world. Demonic powers behind what world leaders are doing. Think about that. 
How about modern day Persia? What, what's modern day Persia? Iran. And what's the leader of Iran say he's going to do? He wants to annihilate the Jews. You think the guy might be being led by a demon? I think so. Also mentioned here with the prince of Persia is the prince of Greece that's mentioned in verse 20 that after uh, he deals with the prince of Persia, he's going to have to deal with the spiritual power behind Greece, the next world power that will come on the scene. And so what's Daniel being told here? Daniel is being told about the next two nations that are going to be in control of the world after Babylon and how each one of those two kingdoms will have a demonic power behind them. Spiritual warfare in high places. Which tells us what? Satan has a foothold in the kingdoms of this world. Folks, maybe that helps explain a little bit more the chaos that we see that's going on in the world around us. There's a spiritual battle going on. Well, the second thing I want you to see tonight, spiritual warfare can be a reason for the delay in our prayers. Daniel's prayer was not answered for three weeks. The answer was held up by the prince of Persia. Exactly. You know, many times our prayers are not automatically answered either. And, and we'll get to the same reason in a moment, but before I do that, there's some other reasons our prayers may not be answered. It could be that they're not answered right away or the way we would like them to be answered because of something in the plan of God. Right? Paul. Paul wanted his thorn in the flesh removed. God said, I'm not going to remove it. There's a purpose in your thorn in the flesh. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. Paul wanted whatever that thorn in the flesh was, Paul wanted to be done with it. And God said, no, I've got a purpose in leaving that. So your prayer may not be answered exactly the way you want it to because God has some other plan. God has something else He wants to do in your life. Uh, another reason our prayers might be delayed or denied is selfishness. James 4. James says, the reason some of you are not seeing your prayers answered is because you're praying selfishly so that if God were to answer your prayer and give you what you're asking for, you could consume it upon your own lust and desires. And God's not going to do that. Another reason your prayers may be delayed or not answered is because of sinfulness. In Isaiah 59, beginning there in verse 1 of Isaiah 59 and following, uh, Isaiah, the Lord says through Isaiah, your, your prayers are not answered and it's not because 
The Lord's ear is deaf and He can't hear. It's not because His arm is too short that He can't reach forth and answer. But the problem is your sin. Your sin has prevented your prayers from being answered. Sinfulness. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount also talked about spitefulness. Listen to what he said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. He said, so that when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. There might be something God is wanting you to deal with in your life in a relationship with somebody else. He wants you to get that right first before you come before Him. And then still another reason why our prayers may be delayed or not answered is precisely what we see here in Daniel 10. Satanic activity. Satanic activity. Just as a demonic power intercepted Gabriel as he was bringing the answer to Daniel's prayer, demonic powers may get involved in our petitions. We need to realize that, folks. Spiritual warfare can be a reason for the delay in our prayers. A third thing I want you to see tonight. Angels are ministering spirits to the saints. Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Angels are ministering spirits to the saints. Who is it that came to help Daniel? An angel. Again, probably Daniel. Probably Gabriel. What I say? You sound like me, Scott. <laughs> Probably Gabriel that came was the angel who came to help Daniel. <clears throat> Years ago, I remember reading a book by Dr. Billy Graham, Angels, God's Secret Messengers. Did any of y'all ever read that book? You remember that story in the book of a doctor that got a knock on his door? Late one night, he'd already retired for the evening. He was in bed. You remember that? And there's a little girl standing at his door. She said, Doctor, please come quickly. My mother's sick. <clears throat> and he got ready, and the little girl led him where he needed to, led him in the house, and led him back to the bedroom. And the little girl just kind of disappeared, but, I mean, there was the mother... She was terribly sick. And the doctor stayed there through the night trying to take care of her. And when she finally came to the next day, he said, ma'am, had it not been for your daughter coming to get me, I don't know if you'd have made it through the night. And the mother said, sir, I don't have a daughter anymore. She died. 
And he said, a little girl came to my door and here's what she had on. He described exactly what she had on. And the mother said, look in that closet over there. And he opened that closet and that exact outfit was hanging in that closet. Angels. Now, let me say this. About 30 years ago, just about any popular preacher that you would listen to, as well as any books that were flying off the shelves in Christian bookstores, were talking about angels. It's like the church went through a period of time of being absolutely obsessed with angels. Folks, we're not to be obsessed with angels. We're to keep our focus on Jesus. There, were, there was a, I think there was an unhealthy fascination with angels. They're there, yes, huh? They're a distraction. They're there. We'd be thankful for them. Who knows? You may have been kept safe at an intersection by an angel doing something that spared you from an accident. We may see that one day when we get to glory that that's happened. That might be revealed to us. Thank God for, for angels. Again, as Hebrews chapter 1 says, they're ministering spirits sent to minister to the saints of God. Just don't let them become your focus. And then a, a fourth thing I want you to see tonight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not of the flesh. The weapons of our warfare. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every uh, proud obstacle raised against raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Again, you look back at Ephesians chapter 6, and what are we told to put on? We're told to put on God's truth and righteousness and faith, and we're to pray in the Spirit. So oftentimes, we think we need to do more. Oh, if we just attend another conference, if we get a little bit more training, if we read another book, if we try a little bit harder. But the truth of the matter is, we need to pray and utilize the weapons of warfare that God gives us. Because our battle isn't against just flesh and blood. And for the battles that the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in, we need spiritual armor. Spiritual victories are won by praying. And we see that that's what's happening with Daniel here in chapter 10. Now, two weeks from now, we'll jump into this last vision that starts in chapter 11. And takes us through the end of the book. Any comments before we go to the Lord in prayer?
What was that? I have no idea. I can't say. Set my spirit on the right track. Sure. You know, I read that. I was convicted of Romans chapter 8. And the next two days without the phone work, I had perfect peace because I gave it to the Lord. Right. So I was like, wow. Well, Pastor, we know that the Lord works through people and events and things. and. Sure. So I found out tonight the Lord works through the U.S. Postal Service. Sunday, I found out from, from Carolyn Klein that he uses Amazon to deliver things. <laughs> so her uh, granddaughter had um, broken her ankle and was going to have to have surgery, and she was going to need a scooter, you know, to be able to get around. And um, I, I don't remember how the lady was related, but Carolyn was telling her about it, and she said, well, the Lord's already given me the solution. She said, Amazon dropped off a package, and it was one of those knee scooters, and it's a small size. Uh, it would, a child would be able to use it. She said, I didn't order it. I don't know why it's here. <laughs> she said, I called Amazon, and they don't have any record of it being ordered or delivered. And, uh, and she said, so I can't return it. So I said, well, I guess God uses Amazon. can't return it. I don't think for it. A double blessing. Oh, but it was pink. Oh, it was pink. Oh, my God. 